And now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Welcome to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm Cam. Glad to be with you once again. Hope that you have had a fantastic week. Thanks so much for uh, downloading, streaming, whatever it is that you are doing with this podcast. I'm really glad that you're here. And uh, hopefully you're back from last week, the uh, very first episode of 40 Acres and a Fool. I, I had some really interesting feedback. A lot of it was very, very positive, and thank you very much for that. Had some uh, some some unusual feedback. Uh, one guy said, uh, love you, Cam. Something along the lines of, love you, Cam. But this is like that scene in Airplane where the guy sets himself on fire, which is kind of an oddly specific and yet infuriatingly vague way to say, I really don't like the show. So I, I doubt he's with us this week, uh, and, and perhaps he could provide some sort of more succinct critique, perhaps, if he is listening. Maybe it won't be like Airplane this time. I, I don't know, but uh, if you're here, sir, I hope that you made it this far, and I would love to exactly what uh, cheesed you off last week. And if, if you're not here, then I'm not going to waste any more time with you. Uh, we did hear from, uh, again, a lot of folks this week, and, and I do have to thank you. The email address, so once again, is 40acrefool at gmail.com. Uh, this is you know usually the start of the show. I'd be talking about the big stories of the day if this was my day job, and, and this is not my day job. And uh, this is not a, a show about the big news of the day, at least the big headlines of the day. We will... I think over the course of the hour, touch on uh, some of the headlines, including uh, Brian Williams at uh, NBC News and the lack of honesty, the lack of uh, importance uh, for honesty within uh, a lot of our media world. I don't know about you, but I had a really good time last week talking about the uh, the, the old book that I was reading. I said that we were going to do uh, another book, this time a, a conservative classic uh, we will uh, talk about this conservative classic. In fact, we might spend more than one week on it because I got to tell you, I, I started reading this book again and I forgot how much I love this book. This might be one of my five desert island books. It's uh, called Cold Friday by Whitaker Chambers. Same guy who wrote the book Witness, which uh, you've hopefully heard of. Uh, hopefully you've read it. If not, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's an amazing work of nonfiction. It uh, was uh, highly influential in the conservative movement for, I would say, a period of maybe 35, 40 years, uh, maybe even longer than that. But it seems like uh, we've sort of forgotten a lot of our uh, our, our own ideological, I don't want to say ideological, our own uh, foundational writings in the uh, the modern conservative movement. We tend now to go back maybe, I don't know, 10 years, 15 Maybe 30, maybe to the uh, the start of the Reagan era, but certainly not before that. Whitaker Chambers, though, he still has a lot to offer us, and we're going to talk about it a little bit on the uh, show this week. As for the farm, i got to tell you, I'll be really, really honest with you, I haven't had much of a time, uh, much time to spend on the farm this week. It's just one of those things. Now, the good news is that it's wintertime, and this is typically a, a slow time of the year. We had plans this fall, we were going to try to overwinter uh, some of our, our garden beds. But, uh, you know, the best laid plans sometimes don't come to fruition. And so we did not plant any uh, winter crops. We have a couple of, of lonely onions that are uh, poking out of one of the garden beds. But 
Uh, other than that, the garden is bare at this moment. So it's basically a matter of, of keeping up with the animals. We have uh, we have goats that we have to feed and water every day. And a lot of times this time of year, it's, it's breaking up ice or uh, constantly uh, uh, trekking water out from the house because the, the hose is frozen a lot of times. So we're, uh, we're filling up five-gallon buckets of water in the bathtub and then moving them out to the goats and uh, to the chickens and to the hogs. But that's about the extent of the, uh, the farm chores that we have at the moment. The greenhouse uh, proceeds slowly. It is, uh, the, the ground is leveled. The gravel has been laid. We have the, uh, the drainage system in place. We are just actually now assembling uh, the greenhouse, which is a multi-person project. You could probably get it done in a long Saturday or a long Sunday, but we just haven't had a long Saturday or Sunday to, to actually work on it. Um, actually, this last weekend, I uh, didn't really have much of a chance to, to spend any time at home. Saturday, I took a road trip out to southwestern Virginia uh, and went to see my eldest son, who uh, moved out of the house a few weeks ago, and uh, check in on him. Thankfully, he is doing very well. I, I got to experience that that joy that uh, that only parents have. I, I think when they see their their child doing well in the world, uh, handling the world, and it 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 often doesn't happen right away. Oh, by the way, I should explain something because <laughs> this gets confusing, and I realize I haven't really talked much about my family. Uh, here on the show, so let's 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 talk a little bit about the family if we can, because it is different. We have a blended family, so I got married uh, day after I turned twenty three. In Oklahoma, I was actually uh, I was pretty old to get married. I uh, I think I went to school with half a dozen people who got married within a year of, of graduating high school before they were out of their teens. So I got married the day after I turned twenty three. I married a wonderful woman who was nine years older. Uh, than than I am, and she was a uh, single mom of two great kids, an 11-year-old daughter and a 6-year-old son, who from the day we got married, they're my kids, and I was dad. Now, I didn't replace daddy. Daddy was their biological father. Uh, dad, at, at first, was more of a, a job title. It was a, it was a, a job description. But I, I think uh, I think I can speak for my kids. I know I can speak for myself when I say that um, within a very short period of time, dad was exactly what it means when a biological child calls their father dad. They're my kids, and I love them dearly. My oldest daughter uh, is now 28, uh, moved out of the house, actually, when she went to college. We had... we. I still feel bad about this. We moved to Virginia the uh, uh, right before my daughter's senior year in high school, and I know how much that sucked. So my daughter went back to Oklahoma for college, has stayed there ever since. I'm very, very proud of her. She, uh, she, she's got a, a good job that she likes, and she's uh, uh, very involved in the community. She's, she loves the art. She's a, she's a great, great person. Uh, my eldest son, as I said, recently moved out of the house, and... It's been a big adjustment. Um, my son was here at home 
for a, a period of time when we first moved to the farm. It was about a year and a half before the uh, studio in Farmville opened up. And so for about a year and a half, I was uh, commuting back and forth to D.C., which meant that I uh, stayed in a tiny little bedroom in a tiny little townhouse that I rented for as as as, as cheap as I could. Uh, and I would stay there most weeknights, maybe one night a week. I'd drive home after work uh, just so I could sleep in my bed and, and say hello and uh, drop the kids off at uh, school in the morning or something, spend some time there. And while I was gone, my son was, was really sort of the man of the house. Um, and he was a, a, a huge help to my wife. He was, I think, uh, very beneficially present f- with his, his younger siblings. Uh, and I'm really grateful that they got to have that time there together. But there comes a time when, uh, when you have to move on, when you have to move out. And it was that time for my son. So it was, uh, and parents, you, if, if you're a parent, you're listening to this, you, you know what I'm talking about, that bittersweet moment where you're sad to see them go. There is a, a void that cannot be filled. Um, you are anxious for their success. You are also happy uh, in a way. And you're happy for them. It's not necessarily that you're happy for yourself. Like, woo, one more kid down. I suppose there, there there may be an element of that. But I love having my kids around. I'd actually love to be able to find a way to bring my uh, oldest daughter back to Virginia someday. So I, I don't I don't have that experience of yay they're gone. But it's it's more. It's that cheerleading role of, yeah, you get to start your life. And that's, that's my big headline this week is that I got to, uh, I got to go see my son and I got to cheer him on. And I'm, uh, very pleased to report that, uh, seems to be doing well. On that happy note, and very personal note, I feel like we should talk about something very uh, non-specific and impersonal in the next segment. Let's let's talk interest rates or uh, mortgages or something like that. Oh, actually, you know, let's talk. Let's talk. Not talk turkey. Let's talk chicken. When we uh, come back here on Forty Acres and a Fool, we've uh, got some new additions on the farm in terms of our chickens, and uh, hopefully more on the way as well. Stick around. We do have a lot more 40 Acres and a Fool on the way. And I'm glad that you're listening to this edition. We'll be right back with more right after this. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Plays Radio Network. Thanks again for listening to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm Cam, still. Uh, coming up on the program, we're going to talk uh, again about one of the uh, the books that I'm reading here during the uh, the winter months where there's not as much to do on the farm. Whitaker Chambers 
Cold Friday. We'll also talk about Brian Williams and uh, honesty in the media. Brian Williams, uh, of course, uh, didn't have a helicopter take fire, but for well over a decade, he uh, described this tale in which uh, that did happen. So we'll, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But I, I want to get to I want to get to so many things. This could be another three hour show. This is one of the problems. You would think doing four hours a day, I would be able to shut up at some point, but uh, but no, apparently not. So we're going to talk chickens this segment. But I, I want to get to an email uh, that I received, actually from uh, almost a neighbor, uh, not far down the road. John wrote in, said, wife and I listened to your podcast this evening. It was very entertaining, very much like our journey that landed us here. John says, well, what you did was more sane. We went a bit gonzo hippie with the school bus in the clear cut when we moved to this place. Uh, John says, we also enjoyed your wife's bacon segment. She did a great job. I, I, by the way, I, if if I didn't have kids there was a time in my life where i would have totally done the gonzo hippie school bus thing uh granted it was pretty early on in my life because as i said i got married the day after i turned 23 but there was a time in my life when i had friends who uh followed fish around and uh they lived in a ramshackle old house with uh i think three or four of their kids I can't remember how many they had, but they, they had a lot for their age. I remember that. Uh, and and they were my great friends. I was uh, I was perfectly at home. Never went to go see Fish, though. I just I didn't like the band. But I, I would have moved out into the country uh, and lived in a school bus if the country that I had the opportunity to move to was as pretty as Virginia. And listen, don't get me wrong. I love Oklahoma. Uh, love uh, Eastern Arkansas. There's some. There's some beautiful spots there. I just rarely uh, encountered the really, really pretty ones. But I'm really not sure that you could say that uh, what I did was was more sane. Um, it worked out. <laughs> And knock on wood here. You think I'm joking? Uh, it worked out, but it was uh, it was difficult. We knew that it was difficult going forward, particularly as I mentioned the uh, the separation that uh, that we would go through. But but there were a couple of things that I I thought about that made it practicable. A couple of I, I guess a couple of uh, some people that I know. You know, the first thing was we lived in a neighborhood with a lot of military families. And I knew a lot of guys who had done multiple deployments uh, to Iraq and Afghanistan. I, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't unusual. Uh, it wasn't the most common story, but it wasn't unusual to uh, run across a, a guy in the neighborhood um, who had been on maybe four deployments, maybe five, depending on the rank. And uh, these guys were gone for, you know, nine months, 14 months at a stretch. It, that made, honestly, thinking about what these families who, who, who we knew, our neighbors, uh, what they were going through made 
you know, four nights a week seem really doable and, and really bearable. Um, and then there were the, uh, the, the over-the-road truck drivers who, uh, who listened to uh, Cam and Company. We're on at uh, midnight Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Uh, we've always had, a, I think, a, a pretty good contingent of the, uh, the road warriors, as I like to call them. They've always been there on the show, and uh, I, I talk with several of them via email on a, a regular basis, and we'll, we'll check in with each other. There's a, a guy I always see at every NRA annual meeting who comes up, and we, we catch up every year. And these guys who are gone, and, and women, by the way, these, these, these men and women, who are gone for a week or two or sometimes three stretches at a time. Uh, and, and a lot of them are family, men and women, you know, their moms and dads, and, and they're uh, away from their kids because that's just their job. It's just what they have to do. And actually, since we moved, I would even add another group of people that I know have gotten to know who uh, are, are, are doing things that I, I think would be even harder than what I had to do uh, for a year and a half. And that's the outdoor hosts that I've gotten to know uh, being a part of Sportsman Channel. These men and women, holy moly, uh, when it gets time for hunting season and it's uh, production time, you're on the road and we'll see you in three or four months. Some of these guys are on the road uh, the majority of the year. You know, 40 weeks out of the year, they're out there taping their shows. And again, they've got families. So when I think about the moms and dads out there and the the husbands and wives who uh, have it a lot harder than I had it, during that time, honestly, I, I never really felt sorry for myself because I knew that, A, I chose to do this. I mean, there's no point in feeling sorry for yourself at that point, right? You got yourself into this. Uh, but, B, in the grand scheme of things, while it was tough, it 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 wasn't anything worth complaining about, I, I suppose, is the best way to put it. But I'll tell you what is worth complaining about as we uh, segue smoothly into another topic here. Uh, Losing a chicken. Losing a chicken is actually worth getting upset about, particularly when it's to a coyote or, uh, as they're called here in Central Virginia, a a coyote. They're called coyotes in Oklahoma, which uh, makes me automatically an outsider when we start talking about coyotes around here because I inevitably call them a coyote and then people look at me like I just said, uh, hey, pass that salsa made in New York City, will you? Anyway, um, we have a coyote problem and it's not just we specifically on our farm. We have a coyote problem in the area. We have a coyote problem in the United States, ladies and gentlemen. Coyote with a capital C and that rhymes with P and that stands for predator. But specifically where I live, uh, yeah, there are problems with coyotes. In fact, a, uh, a a flyer went up a few weeks ago in the uh, country store, and it was a little pot-bellied pig, and it was a pet, and it was lost. And I don't think that pot-bellied pig is around anymore. I got to tell you, I think that 
pot-bellied pig is probably in the, a coyote's belly. We can we can hear them at night, and we can hear them um, to the north of us. We can hear them to the south of us uh, as they make their circuit, this this multi-mile circuit, and and we're on their circuit. We're the place where they can get chicken. We're uh, we're like the 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 KFC, but in, in, instead of of Kentucky Fried Chicken, we're like V R C. We're 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 the home of Virginia Raw Chicken, and the coyotes go and they just say, "Oh, you know what? I I feel like chicken tonight," and then they go by our place, and it happens. They snatch our chickens up. I've seen it with my own two eyes. They come in broad daylight. These are brazen coyotes, and they've got to be stopped. So, recently, there was a, a seminar on how to live or not with coyotes. And I, I went to it uh, because I, I don't really want to live with coyotes. I want to manage coyotes. And the first thing I learned from this guy is that you're never going to eradicate coyotes. That's not what you're trying to do. You're trying to manage the population. You're trying to get the population down to the point that uh, you don't have livestock predation. You're not losing chickens. You're not losing calves. You're not losing the family pet. And you're not losing little kids who might be playing outside. Uh, and yeah, it happens on occasion. I learned that the coyotes that we have here in Central Virginia, the DNA testing that's been done, uh, show that a lot of them have wolf in them because South Carolina introduced the uh, the red wolf uh, uh, years ago, and then uh, they started migrating north. The gray wolf moved south. They sort of met. Uh, apparently, there was a lot of romantic music, maybe some Barry White out in the uh, moonlit woods. And this uh, hybrid coyote was born that's bigger than the average coyote. It is more pack-oriented than the average coyote, all of which means um, that it you're, you're, you're dealing with uh, eating more food and the ability to get larger food. So I, I suppose we should be lucky. I, I talked to, uh, actually my wife talked to our neighbor who raises cattle, and he said he has not had uh, any trouble with coyotes. I'll, I'll use the uh, local vernacular there since I'm talking about what he said. And not had any problems with coyotes uh, lately, which is great to hear, but apparently that's because they're full on my chickens. Uh, we were losing at one point about two a week. It's it's ridiculous. So we can hunt coyotes and we can trap coyotes. We're uh, currently in the process of doing both. Again, not in the hopes of eradicating the coyote population, but simply managing the coyote population, particularly the coyote population around our place. Uh, and this is going to be something that will be a continual battle. I suppose... We should be grateful in some regard that uh, we're dealing with coyotes uh, or coyotes and, and not hawks because hawks also will kill your chickens and you can't do anything about a hawk. It's a, a bird of prey. It's federally protected. You got to deal with it. Uh, so while we do have hawks uh, that fly in lazy circles in the sky and remind me of Oklahoma at the farm, uh, they have not, to date, ever tried to go after any of our chickens. Coyotes, on the other hand, certainly have. So I'll give you an update 
but so far we've had no success in uh, dealing with any of the coyotes. Hopefully that'll change between uh, now and the next podcast. But we we have added some replacement chickens. We 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 had to do it. Actually, about uh, five weeks or so ago, my wife uh, brought a uh, uh, some eggs over to a friend who has an incubator. Uh, she hatched them out for us, and we just uh, got five pullets, uh, which are young chickens. They just started getting their permanent feathers in. Uh, we have five pullets that are, are back on the farm after uh, leaving as eggs, which is always exciting when we uh, have new chickens around, and, and hopefully they uh, they learn uh, to fear coyotes. One of the things I, I think we screwed up with, you want to— it is 40 acres and a fool, right? All right, well, here's a foolish thing that I think we did. We would uh, often take our dogs out on leashes. We live in the country, but would still take them out on leashes because sometimes they have a tendency to run away. We don't want to see them squished. Uh, but when we're walking around the yard and the chickens are free-ranging and there's a dog, a big, shaggy, furry four-legged creature and it's generally doing what we tell it to do and it's always sort of standing by our side and when it starts to attack the chickens we say no and the chickens don't have a need to freak out and run away probably taught our chickens not to fear coyotes when they appeared so new plan uh, is that now we're not taking our bigger dog out on a leash. The, uh, the bigger dog is going out uh, by my side and is actually allowed to run around and to uh, chase the chickens for a, uh, a, a short period of time till they run away. And as soon as they run away, we call them back. And hopefully the chickens will be acclimated to the idea of when the big furry thing appears in the garden, and by the way, this is advice that I think we can all follow throughout life. When that big furry thing appears in your garden, run away if you can. All right, stick around. We've got more 40 acres and a fool, more uh, nuggets of wisdom like that on the way. We'll be right back here on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. I have a letter here from Tyler. It's an email, but a letter sounds more rural-like, right? So I have a letter here from Tyler who says, I was pleased to see this podcast when a link to it popped up on Facebook. I hope by this time next year that I'm a fool on 20 to 40 acres here in the Willamette Valley of Western Oregon. That is the current plan for our family. Tyler, that is awesome. Good luck to you. I, ho- I hope that your experience is as uh, incredible as, as mine was. And enjoy every step of that experience, uh, from looking for the house to finding it to uh, all uh, the, the heartburn and uh, upset stomach that comes along with signing a mortgage. Good luck to you. Uh, I, I really wish you the best. Tyler says, I enjoyed listening to the podcast. Although the two of us don't agree on everything, we have a large swath of common interests, including firearms, farming, cooking, heritage breeds, and liberty. We don't have to agree on everything. Tyler, and, and you know that, uh, obviously, if you're listening to this program, that's that's the great 
thing about this country is we don't have to agree on everything. We, we seem to lock ourselves into these smaller and smaller niches. Uh, and I think we shut ourselves out of meeting really interesting people when we do that. I, I'm really, really lucky in my day job that I get to talk to people from all around the country in all walks of life that are united with usually one desire and one common interest, and that is to protect and secure our right to keep and bear arms. But I think more broadly they are connected with a, a sense of uh, a responsibility in protecting and preserving all of our civil rights and all of our civil liberties and, and our individual liberties and freedom. And when you are able to unite in a broad purpose like that, uh, you go big tent, so to speak, you get to meet, again, you just get to meet the coolest people. Uh, people like Tyler, uh, who's who's listening in. And Tyler, again, we don't have to agree on everything. I would love to uh, actually uh, talk more about heritage breeds and, and your favorite uh, kinds. Now, Tyler said, of note on the podcast, unless I just missed it when your wife was describing the dry rub for the bacon, I think she mentioned uh, pink salt or red salt, and then she said she'd get back to it. I don't recall her getting back to it. Uh, could you elaborate or do a follow-up on a, a future podcast? I wonder if it's one of the curing mixtures that include things like saltpeter that's often used for making sausage. It is a pink curing salt, uh, Tyler. And uh, if you were listening to the last podcast, you want to make bacon, um, add this tiny little step here. The uh, the pink curing salt for the recipe that uh, Miss E gave in the last uh, episode, it's three quarters of a teaspoon. So it's not much, but it is a pink curing salt and it is mixed in with the kosher salt, the sugar, the herbs, and the pepper uh, into that rub. So three quarters of a teaspoon of that pink curing salt, mix it into with the, uh, with the rub, the kosher salt, the sugar, the herbs, and the pepper, and you are good to go in terms of a curing your bacon. Uh, Tyler also said, I grew up on a, uh, across the street on a dairy farm or from a dairy farm in farming in Utah. Starting at age 10, I worked on that dairy farm until I graduated from high school and went to college. Tyler says this was an old style, not a uh, new style, pastured dairy farm. I worked on the Utah State University dairy farm for a couple of years while I was attending college as well. Starting as a child, Tyler says, I also read extensively about farming and self-sufficiency topics. I'm very well read on small-scale farming and self-sufficiency approaches and techniques. I've learned about the decline in the nutrient density of our foods, particularly over the past 80 years. Tyler says, I seek to raise high-quality food for my family and eventually my kids' kids. I understand the work of uh, Weston Price and what's happened to various people's health as the nutrition of their consumed diets decline over time. I'm basically working towards raising good, high-quality, nutrient-dense food self-sufficiently. The rural farming lifestyle is something I hope to regain. This approach pushes me towards heritage breeds, which tend to be much more self-sufficient than many of the newer commercial breeds. You know, what I love about what you said, Tyler, is that I think you and I are doing many of the same things, uh, maybe for slightly different reasons. I, certainly, I want my kids to have the most nutritious food possible. And I, I think that if we're growing it uh, and we're raising it, that uh, the more of that we can provide for our family w would be ideal. Uh, we are not self-sufficient, not by a long shot. I don't know if we ever will get to that point. But I, I, too, love heritage breeds, and it's not just because of the uh, the nutrition uh, and the way that you can use these heritage breeds in small-scale farming practices, although I think it's fantastic that you can, and I think that we need to be doing more of it. But I love the, I love the connection, again, to our past that this provides. 
um, and the connection to our food that uh, raising a heritage breed provides. There's something really special uh, about raising uh, chickens that, that, that you know were developed uh, in this country 150 years ago or raising a hog that, that you know at one time was you know, one of the most common breeds uh, in the southern United States, and you would have seen these hogs everywhere. There's something, again, there's, it's, it's a connection. Uh, it's a bond between the here and now and those who have come before and helped to make this country uh, everything that it is today. And I think the more of those connections that we can find, the better off we're going to be. I think we've become untethered from our history in a lot of ways. And the president's comments certainly seemed untethered from history, expressing this one uh, incomplete set of facts. But what the president left out, for instance, uh, when talking about our own history, yeah, we we did have people that used uh, or tried to use Scripture to justify slavery and to justify the Jim Crow laws. But we also had people... Who, who did the opposite. They used Scripture to, uh, to, to call for the eradication of slavery. They, they used Scripture to, uh, to call for full equality under the law as, as we receive in the eyes of God. Just a couple of miles, actually not even a mile from our studio in Farmville, Virginia, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King spoke here in Farmville. And I would say, were it not for the Christian faith, and the civic faith, that Judeo-Christian faith that we had as a nation more generally, that we wouldn't have seen the eradication of slavery. We wouldn't have seen the end of the Jim, the, uh, Jim Crow laws. But the president didn't mention that. He just mentioned that, you know, people tried to do bad things in the name of uh, uh, Christianity at one point in time. And so let's just, let's just move on. It, it, it makes one a little pessimistic uh, when when you look at the uh, the problems that we face and the leadership that we have, doesn't it? So, Whitaker Chambers is a great read if you're feeling pessimistic, because he was a pessimistic guy. But at the end of the day, he never gave up his his fundamental faith, and it wasn't necessarily faith in humanity. It was a, a faith in in God. Uh, that sustained him through what he saw uh, was a, a growing threat to the West, uh, not from uh, radical jihadist terrorists, but from the, the militaristic, uh, atheist, uh, communist menace. Uh, Whitaker Chambers was a, a former communist, uh, was a communist throughout the 20s and 30s, left after the purges, uh, of Joseph Stalin in the mid-1930s, came to a fame in the uh, 1940s when he accused Alger Hiss. This is all in uh, Glenn Beck's uh, Dreamers and Deceivers, by the way, which uh, is, is a great read. Uh, this is one of the chapters. Um, anyway, accused Alger Hiss, former secretary, assistant secretary of state, uh, then the head of the Carnegie Endowment for World Peace, accused him of basically being a Soviet agent during the 1930s uh, and ended up uh, accusing him not just in a, a congressional hearing, but but on a, a public broadcast, Alger Hissoud for uh, 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 libel, ended up uh, being convicted himself of perjury, did five years, proclaimed his innocence until his, his death. But uh, most people believe that uh, Alger Hiss was, in fact, uh, 
spying for the Soviet Union, and there were there were many others actually uh, in Washington D.C. during that time period. So Whitaker Chambers writes the book Witness, which uh, uh, tells all about this uh, the the trials and the testimony and his time in the uh, Communist Party, and it's an incredibly personal memoir. It's 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 wonderfully written. It's an incredible book. It's a book that every uh, literate and literary conservative should read. He uh, retired. He was in ill health after that. Uh, he was he was in his early fifties when he were witness. And last ten years of his life, he spent on his uh, farm outside of Westminster, Maryland. And he wrote for National Review for a while. He uh, actually went back to college. He was going to community college when he passed away. And a few years after he passed away, his wife and some friends uh, put together uh, Cold Friday, which was a collection of his writings, some diary entries, some unpublished essays, uh, really interesting one about him going to college at Columbia University in the 1920s and getting this sort of indoctrination from his professors about how wonderful the Russian Revolution was as it was taking place and, and how he went from being this sort of soft conservative uh, and admirer of Calvin Coolidge and Teddy Roosevelt uh, to, to ultimately becoming a communist. Um, there's a series of his letters back to William F. Buckley after Buckley had asked him to write a uh, number of papers, the conservative position on X, Y, Z, whatever the subject matter was. And he writes back about how he's not a conservative. Uh, he's a, a man of the right. And it's a really interesting essay. Uh, there's there's a, a portion of uh, an essay called The Direct Glance that I, I think is so indicative. I mean, it, 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 it still, to me, resonates with, uh, with today. He says, nothing is more characteristic of this age than its obsession with an avoidance of suffering. Nothing dooms it more certainly to that condition which is not childlike, but an infantilism, which is an incapacity for growth that implies an end. The mind which has rejected the soul and marched alone has brought the age to the brink of disaster. Let us say it flatly. What the age needs is less minds than martyrs, less knowledge, knowledge was never so cheap, but that wisdom which begins with the necessity to die if necessary for one's faith and thereby liberates that hope which is the virtue of the spirit. Now, if you had pointed out to Whitaker Chambers that we have in this world a uh, growing number of young men who are, in fact, uh, and women who are perfectly willing to be martyrs, uh, who are perfectly uh, happy with the necessity to die for one's faith, uh, I'm I'm not sure what uh, Whitaker Chambers' re- reaction would be. I I know he'd be horrified by uh, the uh, the rise of of this form of violent uh, terrorism. But but how would he seek to answer it? Probably not by pointing out the Crusades and the Inquisition, and we've done bad things too, right? What he would say and what he would ask is how. How are we going to fight this? What does the West have to offer in exchange for, uh, as opposed to the ideology offered by ISIS and al-Qaeda in uh, the Arabian Peninsula and Boko Haram? What, what does the West have to offer? And uh, he would say yeah, freedom, right? But, but, but that's an argument that you're making to people who have, in many cases, never known the freedom that you and I know. Uh, and for them, he said, in their mind, it, it, it translates to the freedom to starve. As convincing an argument it might be for us, it is not a particularly convincing argument for people who've never had that freedom. So I said, Whitaker Chambers is really good if you're uh, in the mood to be pessimistic, because he was. 
what sustained him as he uh, worried about the world falling apart uh, was his personal faith in something much greater than him. Uh, he he uh, told William F. Buckley that he was not, uh, unlike Buckley, he did not belong to a uh, religious orthodoxy. He was a, a man of, of deep uh, faith, but he was not a member of a particular church. He, uh, in later life, would attend a lot of Quaker meetings, but he, he never formally became a Quaker. He just sort of liked the simplicity of the meetings there. He was a guy who saw the the uh, the dangers of the modern world and was not particularly confident in the Western world's ability to face them. Did he run away to a farm? I don't think so. I mean, he certainly went to a farm, but I don't think he would consider it running away. Maybe on his bad days. But most of the time, I think it was about finding his place in that modern world and trying to instill in his family and in himself those values that he thought were timeless but that he uh, now viewed in danger of disappearing. And that, I think as well, is something that uh, a lot of us still feel today. I didn't mean to get so deep on you with this segment. I promise we'll uh, lighten things up in just a minute. We've got more 40 Acres and a Fool, so stick around. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks again for hanging out here on the 40 Acres for an hour or so. I really do appreciate it, and I would love to hear from you. I I really don't want this just to be a monologue every week. It's so much better when it's a conversation. So Tyler and John, thank you for writing in. The email address is 40acrefool, 40acrefool at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Cam Edwards, on Facebook, Cam Edwards 2A, and on Instagram as well, it's at Cam Edwards, and we're posting pictures from the uh, 40 acres on a uh, fairly regular basis. It is not the prettiest time of year right now on the farm. I mean, it is the, uh, the, the depth of winter. We have not had any snow. We've had a lot of rain. I'll take it. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's beautiful when it snows in the, uh, the snow-covered hills, but it's also a gigantic pain in the tuchus. You know, I mean, you got to get, depending on the, the amount of snowfall, you have to uh, dig out certainly an area for the chickens to escape their coop. Uh, you have to break the ice in the water dish on a regular basis. We we have not had uh, a ton of snow since we, well, I take that back. The first year we lived there, we actually had a ton of snow. I just was uh, commuting back and forth at the time, so I really wasn't around for a lot of it. But this year we've not had any snow whatsoever. Uh, so it's it's very brown. It's very wet. It's very soggy. We've had a lot of rain. But we may actually get to spring without uh, significant snowfall, and I will be just fine with that because I know that spring is on the way. And I know that spring is on the way because we're getting more and more seed catalogs. It's the uh, This is actually the fun time of year because it's the, it's the time of year where the garden— I mean, every time of year is fun, but this is the really fun time of year because it's the time of year when your garden is, is still in your imagination— so it's perfect, right? You haven't had to deal with any failing crops. You haven't had to deal with uh, out-of-control weeds or infestations that you can't take care of. 
Nope, it's all in your mind's eye, and every single thing that you have planted is doing well, and the garden looks beautiful. It looks like it could be photographed for better homes and gardens. Oh, it's amazing because it's, it's in your imagination. Soon enough will come the days where you're out there in the garden and you're uh, on your hands and knees and you're pulling weeds and you're cutting them out of the dirt and you're spending every free moment, it seems, ensuring that these little tiny plants are just going to grow another tiny little bit that day so that eventually, one day, months from now, you're going to be able to reap the rewards of the work that you're doing. You know, we live in a short attention span society, and gardening is, is not for those with short attention spans. Uh, it, it definitely teaches you patience. It teaches you um, to, to, to think and to take the long view of things. Because if you are constantly waiting in anticipation uh, for that finished product, you're, 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 you're going to be waiting a really long time. If, however, you enjoy or try to anyway the uh, the growing process as a whole, then it uh, makes it a little bit better. I still don't like weeding though. I really don't. We've tried everything. We have the we have the weed dragon, which is uh, a blowtorch basically that's hooked up to your propane tank, which is great for big stuff. But you can't shoot a blowtorch right next to a tender little green that's just popped up from the earth that you want to actually preserve, right? So that the weed dragon's useless for that. We have our hose, we have our spades, we have our hori-hori knife, uh, which is, is a great garden knife to use. But at the end of the day, you know, you're still down there. There's there's no other way to do it. Uh, you're weeding. I suppose maybe one day, uh, we already have Roombas, right? I suppose uh, one day before long we'll have Weedbas that will just do robotic weeding uh, uh, gardeners that'll just kind of sort of stroll or roll along the uh, the garden there, pulling up all the weeds. I don't know how I feel about a weed buh, frankly. Part of me is very intrigued by it, but uh, but part of me thinks that would be just an absolutely uh, horrific advance. So there is some value. There is still some value in spending that time on your hands and knees pulling up weeds. There is uh, there's benefit there. I'm not quite ready to turn it over to a weed buh yet. But we are examining uh, the seed catalogs, and we're going through our own seeds that we have acquired uh, over the last couple of years. We've tried to dry and preserve some of the seeds from our tomatoes. The, the problem with that is that, and here's a foolish thing, uh, we did not keep track of which seeds were hybrid or not. Now, you can grow uh, uh, seeds that are, that are hybrid tomatoes, but the problem is that they're they're not necessarily going to be the tomato that you grew the year before. The seeds are going to have characteristics from both of the uh, the, the, the parent plants, uh, and it's not going to be necessarily what you grew. So uh, for us, I mean, we could grow it. I suppose you could eat it, but uh, there's no guarantee you're going to be growing what you think you're growing. So we don't really want to uh, to do that. So we now have to go back and research which uh, of these tomato plants that we grew last year were hybrids and which were not, and then uh, there, there are more tomatoes to be added to, and... Holy cow, it's going to be a, uh, again, in my mind's eye, it's going to be great. It's going to be a fantastic garden. Last year, we uh, we grew a lot of tomatoes. We grew a lot of peppers. We uh, grew some cucumbers, uh, pumpkins, a ton of squash, way too much squash. We ended up feeding squash to the hogs all uh, fall long, which was great. I mean, it was fantastic. It got put to use, but uh, way too much squash for us to eat. 
we grew a, uh, a a weird little fruit uh, that we just wanted to try. It just looked bizarre. It was called a, a, a jelly melon kiwano, and it tastes supposedly they say it tastes like a banana and jello. I didn't really get the banana part of it. It was this incredibly spiky fruit that just uh, grew in these vines on the ground. It would. It was the weirdest thing. Uh, I wasn't a big fan. So we're not growing the Jelly Melon Kiwano this year. We uh, we are growing Brussels sprouts because as I'm getting older, I really like the taste of Brussels sprouts. And we've tried to grow cabbage for two years in a row without any luck whatsoever. We get bugs. They uh, the, the bugs just take the uh, cabbage apart before they get anywhere close to uh, to us being able to eat it. Um, we've had better luck with lettuce in uh, cold frame boxes uh, closer to the house. So we're going to keep those there. Plans, perhaps, to uh, grow corn this year. Although I just have to say, I mean, corn is one of those products, and and I'm, I know I'm wading now into the, uh, the the GMO food wars. But corn is one of those products where it's just so affordable to buy, even at farmers markets. Uh, it's it's pretty affordable. That I don't know that it's worth my while to actually grow it. Because I like corn, and I want to eat a lot of it, and we don't have a, a ton of space in the garden. We could do the uh, the three sisters method where you grow the corn and the squash and the beans on uh, the, the, the same mound of dirt. And I actually would like to try that, but I don't know that we're going to do it this year. So we have a, a full garden. We're going with more tomatoes than we went with last year. And last year, I think we had something close to 20 different varieties of tomatoes. We learned a couple of things. Uh, one... The cherry grape type tomatoes and even some of the smaller paste tomatoes, we don't have a problem with uh, deer or rabbits or, or any other animals eating the, the smaller tomatoes. But when you get outside of the sort of salad size, when you get into the beefsteak, when you get into the mortgage lifters and the, the real big ones, even the Cherokee purples or the Berkeley pink tie-dye, if if we were able to get one out of every four tomatoes on that plant before it was eaten, a bite or two here and there, uh, primarily from rabbits, we considered ourselves lucky. So this year, I think we're going to focus on smaller tomatoes in the garden and maybe in the greenhouse, try to grow some of the bigger tomatoes. Because, you know, I actually really like the smaller tomatoes. You can just pop in your mouth the cherry-sized tomatoes, the grape-sized tomatoes. And there are some fantastic varieties, too. Even a little bit larger, the vernissage varieties. The uh, the black vernissage is really, really meaty. Uh, it's just it's it's just that thick purple skin there on it. Oh, it's fantastic. Chocolate cherry tomatoes are another really good one. The problem with small tomatoes is you, you can't make a BLT with a with a bunch of grape tomatoes, right? I mean, you can't. It's going to take forever to chop them up or slice them up, though. I want I want that big, thick slice of tomato, not even just for the BLT, which, as you can imagine, with the bacon seeds there on the property, the BLTs on the 40 acres are pretty flippin' fantastic. I like just a plain tomato sandwich. Am I the only one? I can't be the only one who likes this, right? You just get that maybe two slices of tomato. You cut them thick. Wonder bread even or, or, or homemade white bread. Mayonnaise on each side. Salt the uh, the tomato. Just a little bit, not much. 
and you're good to go. Oh, that is the best sandwich on like a hot July day. Here I am thinking about July, and it is February right now. Can you tell I'm a little tired of winter? It is. We're getting to the time of year where I think we're all a little tired of winter, and that's the nice thing about having the seed catalogs and that anticipation of warmer days and of longer nights. I'll tell you what I'm really looking forward to here on uh, this program. I'm looking forward to that first night where I can get off of work and I can uh, drive home, set up my laptop and the microphone out there on the front porch, go grab myself a, a frosty beverage, and, and sit on the front porch and do this program in the, uh, in the evening twilight on a nice warm day, That maybe that first warm night. That's what I'm really looking forward to. That's sort of the, the feel that I, I want for this show is that, that front porch feel. Just the, uh, the conversation that folks used to have about friends and family and maybe the, uh, the gossip about what's going on in town. And, oh, my gosh, can you believe what that celebrity said and did? But the real conversations, the good conversations that uh, could, could really truly go on for hours as, uh, as I can apparently. So we'll start to wrap things up here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I have a random garden question, though, that I will pose to you. Uh, And I would love to hear from you generally about your garden plans, because I know that you're getting the same catalogs that I'm getting right now. So tell me, what are you looking forward to growing? Are you trying anything new this year? Tell me about your garden layout. What's your your trick? What's your tip to making the uh, the garden just produce the uh, the best plants possible? I want to know. I need to learn frankly. But uh, I do have a random weird question for you. As we're going through the uh, the tomato catalogs, and as we've uh, started growing tomatoes over the past couple of years, I've come to know the difference between determinate and indeterminate tomatoes. Determinate tomatoes grow to a certain point, and then, bloop, they're all done, right? No more tomatoes. Indeterminate tomatoes, the, the plants keep popping off tomatoes until it basically gets too cold, uh, and the plant dies. So here's my question. I've been thinking about it. I've been wrestling with this, and I've not been able to figure it out. Why would you plant determinate tomatoes other than the taste? What is the benefit, I guess, of a determinate tomato as opposed to an indeterminate tomato? Because from, from my frugal perspective, I want the indeterminate tomatoes. I want the tomatoes that are going to keep uh, the plants that are going to keep providing tomatoes all summer and into the fall. I mean, it was almost, it was after Halloween uh, in 2014 before the final sun gold tomatoes gave up the ghost. I liked that. I don't want to see my plant just stop producing in uh, July or August. I know that you can plant more and you can plant later in the year, but but what is the, the, the real benefit of having a, a determinate a tomato plant, other than, again, perhaps the taste or the uh, the variety of tomato itself. That's the question I pose to you. I look forward to hearing your answers. Thanks again for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. Until we meet again, live a little, learn a lot, be safe, have fun, and we'll talk to you soon. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.